1: Get in the no, non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score ScoreNorth and ScoreNorth.com. Purple Daily, presented by Surly Brewing Company.
2: Purple Daily on Draft. We're coming at you on a Thursday here on this little holiday week. Miles on Tyler Hornis, Declan Goff here to break things down from an NFL Draft perspective and with the Vikings Kind of now inching themselves out of the playoff race. Of course, two games to play. A lot at stake. So the playoffs are still in the the future of the Vikings. But should they be looking in the other way? Should they be looking at the draft? There's still a chance here at a top 10 pick. So we're going to break this all down here on Purple Daily on Draft. Plus we'll... We're recording this at like a little after noon central time, so we'll probably figure out maybe mid-episode if uh, Jared Hall is indeed starting against the Packers, so we'll uh, probably cover that if that ends up happening. Regardless, we have plenty to get to here on Purple Daily on drafts. So hit that subscribe button for Daily Minnesota Vikings Entertainment. Declan Goff, Tyler Fornes, Miles Gorham here. All right, so boys, what should we do here? The Vikings are, yeah, push themselves out of the playoff race. A top 10 pick is, weirdly enough, still very much obtainable for this team. At the same time, if they win out, and they need a little bit of help at this point, but if they win out, they could still be in the playoff picture, uh, making the playoffs, plan on wild-card weekend. So, Forno, I'll, I'll start with you. What do you want to see this team do? Would you rather see them get a top-ten pick? Would you rather see them sneak into the wild-card round? Do you think this team has enough to upset somebody? I guess, what direction do you want to see the Vikings take here in, over the
1: uh, next two games to close out the regular season? Well, it's a really tough conversation because obviously you want to end up with as high a pick as possible. And Odie is really frustrated with this conversation too because it's just like, hey, we want to be in the playoffs. We want to win the division. We want to contend for a Super Bowl, but that's just not going to happen this year due to the mass multitude of injuries. Odie, you're fine, bud. You're fine. You don't you don't need anything. Um, he disagrees. I want to see them be really competitive, and I want to see them also end up with a really high draft pick. I, I think the best case scenario is you go out there, you play really well, you play really hard, you stay competitive and you lose both games at the la- last second. Like, like in an almost heartbreaking fashion kind of thing. Like, I think that's the best result long-term, but obviously I I just want to see them win. Like like you want to see some of those things and I, I'm going to try and control my dog. So it doesn't ruin the whole episode, but I, I you want to see him competitive. You want to see him play hard and you want to see some growth from these guys. who are going to get opportunities due to injuries. And I think that that's what I really want to see. I want to see Jaron Hall get an opportunity. And if he ends up getting that starting job, which my guess, it'll be Nick Mullins on a very short leash. He throws a, he throws a pick or two, and then he's going to get pulled. I think that's, what's going to happen. Um, But we'll, we'll kind of find out. Um, It's just get these guys in positions to succeed and get them playing well. It seems like that's exactly
2: how the Vikings play football games though, right? Like competitive, heartbreaking loss, you know, not, not necessarily going to go into a game and to be completely blown out every single mm-hmm. time. That's kind of been who they have been, especially under Kevin O'Connell. They continue to play one score games. So all both those things are obviously still on the table here. Uh, Miles, how about you, man? Do you think if the Vikings went out and they obviously get a little bit of help from the Seahawks and or Rams uh, that this team could still make some noise in the playoffs? Or would you rather see them at this point
0: just probably get that top 10 pick? I mean, the quarterback, we're in a quarterback controversy again. So, I I mean, at that point, you're kind of looking at it as, like, I think it should be Jaron Hall, and I I more so think it should be Jaron Hall um, because I I think he's he's basically would be playing for, like, the backup job next year, and I think that's a good thing. I don't think Mm -hmm. that's a bad thing. I think you see that across the league. There's some young rookie quarterbacks kind of playing for, like, the future backup role. I think Tommy DeVito, even though he just got benched, it still probably played himself into, like, a backup role next year. I think uh, Tyson Baygent, uh kind of did a similar thing in Chicago. I think Jaron Hall could do a, a very similar thing. I think Jaron Hall might have a little bit more upside than those other guys um, for obvious reasons just based on what he can do, but we haven't seen it. I think a two-game sample size is a good opportunity to really, like, kind of give yourself a little bit more confidence into that guy going into the next offseason. Um, for this year, though, I just, yeah, I don't see this team, with all the decimated injuries like TJ Hawkinson, Jordan Addison, DJ Wanham, like, all players that were playing well for you and playing pivotal roles for you are all hurt. Obviously, you still have Justin Jefferson. You still have some key players, um, not injured, but Daniil Hunter, you know, all those guys, but you're still in a really tough situation, and I just don't see this team going out and beating some of the top teams in the league um, in January. Um, Now, maybe they win a game or two, like, they either beat the Packers or they could beat Detroit. Maybe Detroit's not playing for anything in week week 18, but – Yeah, I mean, playing competitive is always, like, you want your team to be competitive, but I'm kind of just at that point where I just want to see, that. like, I don't want to see this team lose. I'm not, I'll never actively root against this team, but I'm not going to be sitting there on on Sunday night or next week being like, oh, man, I hope they win this game, because I remember 2011 when they, they, I can't remember the game, they beat Washington late in December, I think it was, and they went from pick two or one and got pick three. uh, Those types of scenarios where they miss out on the quarterback situations, like, now, I don't, we're not going to get a top five pick, but I, I'd rather have a top 12, top 10 pick than a the pick 15, you know, pick 14, pick 18, anywhere in those ranges. I'd rather be as close as I can to the 10, in that 10 range um, so they can make an easier move or a, a quarterback's easier for them to uh, fall to. Like, I'd just rather that be the scenario because uh, you're not playing, you're not going to win anything in January. This team just isn't. There's too many injuries. I just don't think players are kind of, I think everyone looks tired. Like everybody's just like run down. I just think there's so much exhaustion in that in that locker room. I think they could really just kind of use the reset this off season, um, and like let guys kind of get healthy again and those things. So yeah, I'm kind of on the the ship where I'd kind of would rather see the unfortunate situation, but them going zero and two and having a better draft slot this time this time um, heading into the off season.
2: Yeah, and, and Forno, do you think even with Jaron Hall maybe getting a nod here and now with ad- injuries TJ Hawkinson and just things piling up against them, do you feel that even if Jaron Hall was able to get in here and play a little bit, play these two games, that there'd be enough of a sample size to keep him around as like your primary backup or even give enough evidence to have him be a, a, a legitimate QB1 option for you next year? I guess, how much would you factor in Jaron Hall getting playing time here and how significant would that be to his development? Um and how mostly how he's viewed as, as a as a starting quarterback in 2024.
1: I think we also need to parse out what I view is gonna probably be different from how the Vikings end up kind of moving forward here. I think unless he's just a catastrophe uh in one of these games that he ends up potentially playing, or if he can if he decides to all of a sudden be one in practice, because I think that statement from Wes Phillips yesterday where he really talked about the development and just the unknown of what Jaron Hall is and kind of that whole situation. I thought was one. I love it hearing answers like that from the uh, coaches, because you don't get a lot of just really well thought out, articulated answers that actually have some depth to it, because you're usually just getting coaches be like, hey, like, I'm just not going to give you much. I'm going to beat around the bush. Wes Phillips is just honest. Like Hall has done some really good things, but we don't know how he's going to handle certain situations in game because you haven't seen it and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a indoctrination on hall is bad or saying, Hey, hall is really good. There's a level of unknown with the player who just has not gotten a lot of opportunity in the national football league. And I thought it was really cool to hear him talk about that because you don't get that from coaches because they want to keep everything close to the vest. They want to keep things secretive. So that kind of honesty was really nice. I think with the emergency quarterback rule, no matter what, Jaron Hall's on this football team, unless all of a sudden he just craters and looks really, really bad. Because you have Nick Mullins next year for $2.25 million, and then you have Hall on a rookie deal, and you have two of your quarterbacks next year. Now, who's the third going to be? Is it going to be Kirk? Is it going to be a rookie? Could it be both? And then you decide to move on from either Mullins or Jaron Hall. I want to have more information on Hall. I want to be able to see him in some of those situations. And I think even though I thought Mullins played pretty well on Sunday, you look at the four interceptions, you could argue all four of those were good decisions, bad throws. And I like guys who make good decisions, but his arm just could not catch those checks. Why couldn't he catch those checks? Because he's just not at that level. And he's a backup. If he was, at that level with his arm and he was able to cash those checks, guess what? He'd be starting in the NFL because of how he plays the game. I, I want to see what hall can do because I think he can bring a little bit of a level of less bozo and he can add that element of the rushing attack. And he can obviously make some of these throws in structure, which is what Kevin O'Connell wants to do having run this system in college. So I would put hall in there uh, because you can Now make the argument, which is what we've been talking about on the show for a while, you can make the argument that he's your best bet to win. You couldn't do that before last week because of how Mullins played pretty well against the Bengals outside of a couple plays. So get him in there, see what you've got. And you know what? If he's the guy, that's great. Now you don't have to spend a high resource on the quarterback. If he's not, now you know for certain, and then you can proceed forward without having that level of unknown circling him. All right, Miles. I'm gonna put you on the spot here. If you had the option of having
2: Kirk Cousins as a veteran quarterback back here, or if in some weird, crazy scenario,
0: Russell Wilson is in purple, which quarterback would you take? I'm so, I missed it. It kind of uh, blurred out on me. What was the fir- who's the first veteran
2: quarterback? So either you get Kirk back, you get Kirk back, and okay. I'll, I'll put financials may- maybe at like not a wash, but very comparable. Like one's not making significantly more than the other. But if you had the option of having Kirk
0: back. Or you get Russell Wilson, which one would you take? Oh, it's Kirk. <laughs> like 100 out of 100. I'd, obviously, like, the injury does play a factor here for Kirk Cousins compared to Russell Wilson, but the way that the Vikings want to play their offense and Kevin O'Connell's offense, he'd prefer Kirk Cousins over Russell Wilson at this stage in their careers. You know, five years ago, I'd take Russell Wilson, but, like, Russell Wilson's game doesn't age as well as Kirk Cousins because Russ needs to be a little bit more out of structure and use his legs to win a little bit more, but he's never really been that great within the pocket all the time, consistently. He's been good and he's played at a high level at times, but Kirk Kirk's game is from the pocket. And I think that as you age makes things a little bit easier when your um, athleticism starts to deteriorate a little bit more. So um, I, cho- I think they would choose Kirk and I would probably choose Kirk in that situation. So, um, but to kind of talk about four talk about Jaron Hall, I don't think two games is a large enough sample size to say like, he is the guy going into the off season. And I think, that in itself should never stop you. And I, I think what we saw this year is the more we saw backup quarterbacks play, the worse things tended to get for them. And I'm not saying Jaron Hall can't be better than a backup quarterback, but there just wouldn't be enough of a sample size for me to say, I have confidence in that going into the season off season, like he's Desmond Ritter last year or Sam Howell or those types of guys to say that like, he's, the, he should be the, the, the like starter going into the to training camp into the season and that type of thing. I just don't think there's enough, sample size to say that if with two games no matter how well he plays he's like these two games because we've seen that from Nick Mullins we've seen it from Josh more Dobbs and Mullins but like we've seen those guys play at a high level um for a a, like a small sample size and be like okay and that question and that came crashing down I'm not saying that would happen with Hall but I just don't think you'd have enough of a sample to say that like you could go into the offseason confidently that he'd be he should be the guy
2: well no, have, have you seen enough and enough's kind of an interesting word as as I say that out loud because I thought Kevin O'Connell kind of abandoned the run on on Saturday uh against the Lions where Ty Chandler had a really big game against the Bengals and then they just kind of stopped giving the ball to him and I know that they eventually at one point they were down multiple scores so you know it's hard to run the ball in those scenarios but do you feel that Ty Chandler has done enough to be a starting running back on this team do you think that he could be RB1 on this team Next season, would you rather see them stick with Madison or draft someone else or sign someone else? Um, Ty Chandler obviously had the big game against the Bengals, kind of a stagnant game, obviously against the Lions. But what have you liked from Ty Chandler this season?
1: Look, I think when it comes to Kevin O'Connell's play calling with the run game, it wasn't working. They tried a a few different ways to try and generate the run. It wasn't working. And you know what was working? Throwing the football. So he just kept doing it. And I, I don't really have too much of an issue with it. I know, Judd wrote an article for me on Vikings where I kind of talking about uh, Kevin O'Connell abandoning the run game. I think he could have done a little bit more to try and get the running game going. I thought they they could have maybe tried to be a little more creative. At the end of the day, it wasn't working. And throwing the ball was for the most part. Now, it wasn't the most consistent. Vikings only had 55 plays and the Lions beat them by 19, had 74 on the day. So obviously, you'd like to have a little bit more ball control. But if something's not working and you know it's not working. You can't just keep doing the same thing and expect different results. So I thought they could have tried maybe a little bit different elements to try and get a spark in the running game. But in terms of Chandler, I don't think he's done enough to say, hey, he's the guy next year. I don't think what he's done precludes you from being able to upgrade at the position because the running back position as a whole on this team is bad. Madison is not great. Ty Chandler has more potential than Madison, but is not great. Dwayne McBride, massive question mark. We have no idea if he's going to be anything at the next level, despite all the potential we saw from him at UAB. And then Miles Gaskin, he's, he's a floater. He's a journeyman. And good core guys to have on your roster on the back end, but nothing special. And he's like, the player's expendable. Uh, I think if you find a guy that you really like, that you think can be a difference maker on the team, then you go get him. And I don't think anything Chandler's done is going to stop you from doing any of those things. Yeah. It's, it's a position where people
2: obviously are trying to figure out ways to get better value. You look at Pacheco with the chiefs and you look at guys that aren't paying running backs. Obviously McCaffrey could be in the MVP conversation, but that dude's such a freak in nature that he's obviously kind of the exception to the rule. So it's, you'd like to see, I think Ty Chandler just get more handoffs just because there's more explosiveness there. But at the same time, I think we've seen enough also pass blocking situations where the dude just absolutely rocked. And, can't be trusted on the field every down, so there's definitely a a, a learning curve there. Uh, what what do you make here of T.J. Hawkinson's injury miles, and do you think that this is a position where you can just kind of give the ball to Josh Oliver because Hawkinson's probably going to miss at least the first month of next season? Maybe there's a miraculous comeback here, but you're going to be without one of the best tight ends in the football. Do you feel comfortable, with Josh Oliver, like taking the next step? Is this something that you can maybe address in the draft to like kind of supplement? uh things behind Hawkinson because the Vikings are gonna be without obviously one of their best weapons in the NFL to probably start the first month
0: of the next season. Well maybe this convo can kind of segue into what we we're gonna talk about later uh about wide receiver because I think they they kind of tie into each other. Obviously Josh Oliver is your best blocking tight end. He's like like that inline Y Y type player, whereas Hawkinson's a little bit more that move guy. You can move him everywhere. Um he's a good he's a he's an okay blocker, good blocker, but he's not anything like, you know, crazy. But that's why they brought Josh Oliver in. I think Oliver also has that athleticism to kind of be a guy that can step in and, and, and catch some passes. We've seen it, um, obviously with Hawkinson on the field, but I think Oliver can be kind of a, you know, a a solid tight end two type. You know, he's a good he's a good tight end too, right? Like so I think him stepping into the tight end one, one role isn't like like you're not like the upgrade, the downgrade's huge because T- Hawkinson's that good, but I don't think I think you can still get get away with Oliver being your tight end one and still having a productive off passing offense with him in there. And I think Johnny Munts solid too. Maybe they bring him back. I think he's uh, had a two-year deal last year. So I think he's a free agent, but maybe you bring him back. They seem to really like him. Um, But I think, I don't think, I think you can get away with it because you have Justin Jefferson, you have Jordan Addison. You have a lot of weapons that can kind of help supplant um, some of the production from TJ Hawkinson while he recovers. Uh, Now on the flip side, I think one way to help, help like that whole situation is by focusing on wide receiver. So I think you have Josh Oliver for another two years. Under contract, obviously T.J. Hawkinson signed long-term. Um, yeah, maybe you draft somebody late, but I wouldn't put any sort of significant resource into that like third slash second tight end while Hawkinson recovers. I'd rather focus that position on wide receiver and go get another third wide receiver um, because K.J. Osborne is a is a free agent, and, um, and so is Brandon Powell. And Jalen Naylor, Naylor hasn't done anything this year to really show that he should step into that role. He's been unfortunately hurt, um, so you can't really put trust into that. So for me, I'd really focus on like a day two or, or early day three wide receiver in the draft or even like a cheaper um, wide receiver and free agency to kind of help help you supplant that situation or like, you know, kind of remedy that situation while Hawkinson recovers. Um, lots of guys in this draft. I think it's a really deep draft. But um, for me, I we like to run 11 personnel a lot. So why not just kind of lead into that and let that kind of be your um, your base again? You can kind of get back to that especially with Josh Oliver as your tight end one early in the season, he helps you stay in line and block and have a still help keep your run block run run game effective because he's a good run blocking tight end without having to have two got two tight ends in the field. You can keep three receivers on the field. So, um, and then CJ Ham can help with that as well. So I think for me, I'd rather focus on a wide receiver in that case than kind of trying to go find a, a, like a pinch hitting tight end or whatever, what have you. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, I think you can go get another weapon at wide receiver um, and let that kind of help you while T.J. Hawkinson recovers. This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackie and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind.
1: Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation.
2: So, Forno, how, how should the Vikings plan that attack in in the draft? So, obviously, yeah, J.J. Addison, you got one and two wide receivers, and, hey, the future of J.J. is, a, is the conversation is on, right? But, regardless, you have two kind of game-changing wide receivers there. But how should the Vikings go about that? Like, if there's a top wide receiver on the board in the first round, you know, I don't know if they'll take it, but... At the same time, is is a day two selection of a wide receiver possible here with the Vikings? How would you go about kind of replacing or adding just a new weapon in
1: this Vikings offense in the draft next season? The weird thing is, I don't think day one's out of the question. I don't necessarily think it'd be the the smartest allocation of resources. But this wide receiver group is nuts. It's really good. And we've talked about that multiple times over the past uh, few years. 2014 is the one I always point to. You got Stefan Diggs in round five. And there were reasons why Diggs fell. But the main reason was because of just the sheer depth of the class. You have a guy that has a hamstring injury. You're probably not going to take the chance on him versus another guy that has a relatively clean bill of health. So you can get value later. And I think day two is probably the sweet spot. Maybe a trade back, a recoup a third round pick and take one there. There are quite a few guys I like in that like high third round range. But if there's a guy that you absolutely fall in love with in round one, like a Romo Dunze, a Malik Neighbors, and they somehow fall to you, you have to at least have the conversation and think about it because these are great football players. And all of a sudden, you have a really solid offensive line. And people may like not think it. The Vikings offensive line is good now. And it's been good all season. Some of the issues that they've had have to do more with wanting to throw the ball downfield. Like Nick Mullen's average depth of target on Sunday with 16.2 yards for pro football focus. I think I'm getting that correctly. That's insane how far that they're trying to throw the ball down the field. So when you have those weapons, you can do a lot of different things, but also puts more stress on the offensive line. So some things can look worse, especially with a pocket passer like Nick Mullins. Mullins and Cousins, they don't really move around a lot. But if you find a guy that you just absolutely love, and that could be a true difference maker in this offense. I'm okay going for it. It's not like, like the lions were made fun of because they took a wide receiver in the first round three years in a row. Well, they finally hit with Megatron and it worked out pretty well for him. Mm-hmm. But if you love a guy, take him because wide receiver is one of the most valuable positions in the NFL. You're losing KJ Osborne. Likely you might lose Brandon Powell. Jalen Naylor's a massive unknown at this point. And you have Addison, you have Jefferson and you have Hawkinson. So all of a sudden now you get a fourth guy you have two wide receivers at rookie contracts that could potentially be like wide receiver one capable. How are you going to stop all of these guys? And you could have an aging Kirk cousins, at quarterback, you could have a rookie at quarterback and their job was going to be made so much easier. Oh, breaking news. Jaron Hall's getting the start. Boom! I'm a happy guy, but it's some of those elements. You stack the deck for the quarterback. Their job is so much easier. And a receiver could do that. Now, is it smarter to take one of those guys over a, an edge rusher or a potential quarterback? The answer is no. But if you love the guy and he's at a valuable position, like wide receiver, it's okay to take him. I'd still wait till day two. Guys like Malachi Corley, Jacob Cowing, Jamari Thrash, the Louisville guy who, that dude is fun. Um, that, those are guys I would prioritize over round one. But if you love him, take him. Draft good football players. Deal with the rest later.
2: Miles, do you do you think a Jaron Hall led Vikings team can beat the Packers um, on Sunday? Do you think that this could be a win for the Vikings? Obviously, they've struggled at home. The Packers have kind of flip flopped after the Vikings got off to a nice start or a nice run there in October, November. Now all of a sudden they have the same record as the Packers. I mean, that, that's kind of just a, a crazy, crazy league that it's been. But do you think that Jaron Hall can do enough to lead the Vikings to a win over Green Bay at home on Sunday? I think
0: what we'll see is an uh, an efficient offense. I don't think Jaron. The hard part is that I mean the the uh, the Packers have really struggled, and they they gave up what thirty points to the Panthers last week, and the Panthers have been arguably the worst like offense we've seen in a long time. And and so I think I think Jaron Hall and Kevin O'Connell can kind of put together a an effective offense against that defense. Now, what the hard part is, we don't know what Jaron Hall is going to be like in terms of like the, the disguise coverages and and how much disguise coverages and things that the Packers bring. But the one thing we do know he has is he has Justin Jefferson and he has a guy that we know that he can, that can bail him out of situations. Um, The unfortunate part for Hall is he's going to be down Hawkinson. He's down Addison, I'm assuming. And then, you know, he's got KJ Osborne and Brandon Powell really being the the other guys. So it's it's tough. I was hoping to see him kind of with the full, the full gambit, you know, the TJ Hawkinson and and Addison and kind of see how he, how he performed with all those guys. But I still think there's a chance they could beat him. I think that if they can get the run game going a little bit more effectively, that always obviously helps running uh, quarterbacks, especially young quarterbacks. Um, I think if they can get the play action game going, um, especially in a game like this where you don't have the same type of weapons, maybe you do run a little bit more uh, 12 personnel, um, a little bit more 22 personnel, um, just to kind of get things a little bit more easier, max max protect, those types of scenarios, and, and kind of keep the the Packers out of uh, like nickel, def- nickel and dime defenses where you can hopefully get J- J.J. into more, you know, I doubt he'll get single covered very often on Sunday, but more double coverage and, you know, kind of give him opportunities because he beats those all the time, move him around the formation all the time um, and all over. Um, I think you can kind of scheme to help Jaron Hall as much as you can, which shouldn't in turn lead to points and, and, and kind of consistent drives. It's staying out of the, the third and longs and staying out of the, uh, uh, what am I thinking of? The uh, the situations where you really, um uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the word. Um, but, uh, you, what you don't want to be in, isn't in, in, uh, uh, three and outs. Uh, you don't want like staying out of three and outs, like con- continuing drives and those things that that's really important for Jaron Hall in this offense. And so, um, yeah, I think the biggest thing is just getting JJ like 20 targets on Sunday because dude, like he might have to, like, I think that, I think JJ is just gonna have to put the team on his back and say like, all right, like let's win this game. And, and so my hope is, you know, with Kevin O'Connell making this change now, the, the plan is to kind of let him like unleash it a little bit. Let him let him go, but I think they could do it in a contained way where um, Jaron Hall's got a little bit more zip and a little bit more uh, to his fastball than, than Nick Mullins does. Uh, but they have similar traits and, and styles to their game, but I think Hall might have a little bit more of the arm talent to kind of get some of the those throws that Nick Mullins were miss, was missing the last couple of weeks. So my hope is we kind of see that.
2: All right, Fono, I know you're a big Jaron Hall fan, so maybe remind some audience members who didn't really remember our, our conversation uh, going to the Falcons game or even post-draft mm-hmm. about things that Jaron Hall does well. What 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 does Jaron Hall do, well, and where can you see that maybe translating
1: out on the field immediately on Sunday against the Packers? The great thing about Jaron Hall is he's already run this offense, and he ran it at BYU. Obviously, you're running a college version of it, but you're running the same style of concepts. You're running play action. You're uh, utilizing the same style of progressions. You're just spreading the ball uh the field out more because college spacing rules are just different. It makes things easier for who you're going up against in the defenses. So Paul showed a little bit of that against the Falcons. He showed that the game wasn't too big for him. When he had that full week of practice, he showed that he could do some of those little nuanced things. Unfortunately, we only got two series of it because of the concussion. Now against this Packers defense, you're playing a, without Jair Alexander. Hopefully, Jordan Addison is going to play. We don't know. He's day to day with that ankle injury, but even without TJ Hawkinson, and the one thing that intrigues me is Johnny Munt got all those snaps once Hawkinson got hurt. It wasn't Josh Oliver. Johnny Munt became that pass catcher. So I'm curious if that's going to continue or if a full week of practice will get Oliver more prepared for that role. But I think that. With Hall, you add an element of him being able to utilize his legs. I think they'll do a little more of the bootleg stuff with Hall than they did with Josh Dobbs because he's already ingrained in this offense, and you already saw some of that against the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I think the big thing with Hall is, can he continue to see things fast enough in front of him? Because in the preseason, it's, it started to show progress throughout all three games, but he was not seeing things fast enough and the game was a little, it was still like, it was still a little too quick for him. But in that small sample size, it sh- he showed the ability to go through those progressions quick enough to be able to make those throws. So I want to see more growth there. I want to see him make confident decisions and utilize the arm talent he has. He has enough zip in that intermediate range and he throws a beautiful deep ball, but he's not going to throw like that absolute missile deep ball. It's going to have a little arc to it it's going to be not quite as bad as a Russell Wilson arc, but you kind of understand that same style of trajectory. He's just going to drop it in a bucket and that's his bread and butter. So I'm very excited to see how he works with Justin Jefferson. I'm excited to see how he works with this offense. I wish Hawkinson was there. I hope Addison is, but I have confidence that Hall will be able to do some good things on Sunday, especially against a really bad Packers defense led by Joe Barry, who I'm shocked. He still has a job.
2: Yeah, it's been hilarious kind of watch that completely unfold for Green Bay because, yeah, he will be definitely fired by the end of the year. And I'm, I'm honestly a little disappointed that Jair is not playing because I love the rivalry that him and J.J. have been brewing over the last few years. And I kind of wanted to see how that was going to play out. And, I mean, the amount of smack talk that could be happening if Jaron Hall, a rookie quarterback, is leading Justin Jefferson to cook, you know, a, a very hothead cornerback man i I actually I'm, I'm disappointed that Jair's not gonna play uh as much as he is a difference maker for the packers i was hoping that i was going to be able to see another chapter um in that fight uh boys before we wrap up here i do have a mock draft here from yahoo sports so uh mock drafts are starting to fly in a little bit more now that we're getting close and close closer to the end of the regular season um so in this mock draft specifically from yahoo sports and i should give obviously proper credit here as the uh good journalist that I Nate should Tice be, uh, from Nate Tice. Yeah. From our guy, Nate Tice, uh, obviously son of, uh, Vikings head coach, Mike Tice. So Nate did a good little, uh, mock draft here and he has the Vikings picking 15th, uh, in this mock draft. So he has the Vikings just out of the playoffs, but 15th, uh, spot here. And with that 15th overall selection, they take Iowa cornerback Cooper Dejean. Is it Dejean? Is that how you pronounce his, his last name? Did I DeGene. have Dejean. Right? Dejean out of Iowa. Okay. So in this mock draft timeline, uh, Nate writes, Brian Flores returns as a Vikings defensive coordinator. DeGene is an incredible, versatile defender with outstanding athleticism. He stays in Big Ten country and joins the blitzing and shifting coverage fun. He can be a Pro Bowl player uh, as an outside cornerback slot or at safety. So let's drop him in Flores' lava lamp scheme and let him rip it up from everywhere. How would you feel, uh, Miles, with uh, the Vikings taking Cooper DeGene at uh, 15 from Iowa?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's obviously proven to be a dynamic player. He's kind of got that, like, he could be your punt returner, kick returner as well, which I think they, whether depending on what they do with Brandon Powell, I think Brandon Powell's been a good punt returner, but I think if you could have somebody that could solidify that role for you long-term, I think that's always a positive, positive. Um, and Dejean does that. Um, he's also, like, a dynamic cornerback who creates turnovers. So I think Flores, if Flores comes back, would be able to be that defensive career to to put him in positions kind of like a Kyle Hamilton or, you know, some of those guys that, like, even Josh Mattelis now where, like, you could put him all over the field and kind of play that, like, he has, like, no position. He's kind of like a positionless player. But I don't think that's a, a negative anymore. It used to be considered a negative where we'd call these guys, like, positionless as, as, like, oh, they're, they're good at all these things, but not great at anything. I just think that's over. I think, you know, the coordinators are getting more, uh, creative. And I think, um, Dejean kind of has that ability to, to do that. And so I would be curious, kind of, what their in, intentions were for him. Because like if you lose Harrison Smith, you still have a few safeties still in the roster, but you still you're kind of depleted at cornerback depth. It, it's clear that Andrew Booth doesn't seem to be in favor with the coaches, um, and obviously Makai Blackman's hurt. That doesn't impact next year, but like Makai Blackman, Caleb Evans has been benched. So there's a lot of like flux influx at cornerback. So I can see that being a need. Um, and Dejean kind of brings that do all type of type of player that you could that that could really be utilized within. Uh, Brian Flores' defense, so I'd be for it. I'm still team quarterback in the first round, but I know things, anything could change, but um, I don't think Dejean would be a bad pick in, by any means um, in, the, in the middle of the first round.
2: How about you, Forno? Cornerback round one, and does Dejean
1: fit kind of what Brian Flores would like to do here on this defense? Well Let's let's start with the player. I think the player would be a really nice fit. He can do a lot of different things, which it, Josh Mantellis is kind of that guy to be like that real Swiss Army knife. But DeJean can do more. He can play a true outside corner. He can play in the slot. You can play him deep. And I, this is going to sound weird, and I don't think it's a one-to-one comp, but this is a very similar conversation we had to when Jalen Ramsey was coming out, where you think he can be a really good everywhere, but where is he best at? And I think answering that question is going to determine where he actually projects the best in the NFL. Um, though there are a lot of conversations about Ramsey playing stronger free safety and maybe playing in the slot. Like not everybody wanted to have him as an outside corner. Now he ultimately proved that he should have been an outside corner the whole time. The second he got in the league with his performance, but these were the pre-draft discussions surrounding Ramsey. And it's the same with DeGene. Now, as far as the Vikings perspective, this would not be a very fun pick for me. I would much prefer the quarterback route, an edge rusher, an interior defensive lineman at that level. Um, than a corner. I I think our corner room is objectively fine. It's not great, but there's a real potential there. And the way this defense is structured, you can get away with not having elite players. And I think one more year of Evans in the system, one more year of Booth, Blackman, Murphy, you have a solid four. And I think that solid four is just fine. Like you don't like, look at the Bengals defense last few years. There's, they haven't had a single great cornerback. You know what they had? They had great safety, Jesse Bates. And they invested in that safety room, Daxton Hill. Like, it, you can go that route. Just have good cornerbacks. And that's what the Vikings have. And they can continue to grow and get better because none of them are over 25 years old. So it would be fine, I guess, to take a corner. But there are other positions of bigger needs and I think better values that they could utilize here that would m- much be my preference.
0: It really does depend on the what what they view how they view guys like a Caleb Evans, uh, Byron Murphy seems the only the only guy and Makai Blackman seem to be the two guys that like they seem to have the most confidence in, and then a Caleb Evans I still view as like a guy that has a chance to stay as as a starter long term. He had a, some hiccups that stuff's gonna happen for young guys, um, but that like third fourth cornerback spot seems to be wide open. And Byron Murphy long term he's on he's got one more year in his on his deal, so I know he's still young, but. Um, Maybe cornerback is is a bigger need than we even realize going into the offseason. It doesn't it might not be, but it could be one of those situations where they don't really have like a true lockdown corner. And I think this defense could really use one. I'm not I don't even know if Dejean could be that guy, but I think his ability to kind of play everywhere gives him a lot more uh that versatility is a lot more uh, important than it used to be. Absolutely. Hit the subscribe
2: button, Daily Minnesota Vikings Entertainment right here, Purple Daily on Draft. We typically record these on Mondays due to the Christmas and holiday schedule. We recorded this extra one on Thursday. So we'll be back, normal time slot on Monday uh, to break things down after the Vikings-Packers game. Uh, So, yeah, hit the subscribe button, Daily Vikings Entertainment. This is Purple Daily on Draft. Appreciate you guys listening.